the Virgin Radio Pridecast. Hello and welcome to the Virgin Radio Pridecast with me, Alex Milsom. And me, Shivani Darve. This week, we are looking back, considering that February is the month of the LGBT history. That's exactly what we're going to be talking about on this week's show. Exactly. It's an annual month-long observance of lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender history. It's been going ever since 2005. LGBT History Month. It's got quite some history to it, considering we're talking about history. LGBT History Month has some history itself. Yeah, it does. I mean, every year when I am like, oh, it's LGBT History Month, people are always like, oh, is that a new thing? Why is that in February? I thought it was in June, over summer, you know, when Pride Month is. Yeah. And um, we get two months of the year, Alex. (laughs) Our community gets two months of the year because we deserve it. As we will be exploring, it also differs in in other countries. But what I find is quite fascinating is that, like, actually, I'd say in the UK we have three months because we Pride Month. We say Pride it's month, one month, but Pride Month is actually from like end of May to the early September. Yeah, we're getting we're getting far far too caught into the like the semantics of it because really Pride is all year round. Oh, um, <laughs> but But yeah, it's it's quite it's it, interesting because it. it coincides february is the month where we celebrate in 2003 the abolition of section 28 which we've we've spoken about previously on the podcast but go on as a as a reminder shivani what is section 28 section 28 also known as clause 28 was um legal hoo-ha let's call it a series of laws (laughs) across britain that prohibited the quote promotion of homosexuality as an accepted family lifestyle um by local authorities meaning schools couldn't teach about it uh Mm -hmm. libraries couldn't have books with gay families or Mm -hmm. gay characters um it was kind of a devastating time for the community in the sense that lots of lgbtq plus organizations ended up closing there was a complete lack of support for the LGBTQ plus community. And obviously, loads of people, a whole generation of people grew up without any education when it came to LGBTQ plus people, families, lifestyle, sexual health, anything like that. So Section 28 and Clause 28 was detrimental to our community. And of course. obviously, we have LGBTQ plus History Month in February to make sure that... We don't forget about that. Um, it was something that we covered on the Virgin Radio Pride station when we when we launched it, and we, we spoke about it in, in quite a lot of depth. Yeah, for sure. In August, Matt Cain was joined by Michael Bronski, the author of A Queer History of the United States, and Fleur McInnes, a PhD student researching trans women and women's liberation through oral history. While on the show, Matt chose to ask them this. Do you think museums need to do more to um, promote, to educate, to inform um, the general public about queer history. What would you say, first of all, Fleur? Yeah, I don't think we should necessarily put all of the onus just on museums. I think we should be incorporating queer history, but also history about, you know, all the, like, multiple marginalised identities into our curriculum. Michael, I want to give you the last word. Um, What do you think um, are the biggest dangers to people from within our community not knowing their own history. Why is queer history so important? Well, I think, I mean, one thing I said in my queer history book, right, was that there's no such thing as queer history, it's American history. And the point is to actually discover what was queer about American history, right? So I think, I think, it, I think that 
young people not knowing the complexity and the completeness of any history is a loss for them. I think that obviously, you know, for African-American students, not knowing that history is a, a double loss. For queer students, not knowing that history is, is a double loss. But it's, it's also a loss for everybody that we really can't move forward um, as a, people said, tribal you know, group. But it, it's hard to move forward with a politic without bringing in everybody into that struggle. It reminds me of that, of that sort of campaign that I think it was Vice News did about it because, you know, those museums are a really important portal into our lives and those museums are a really big reflection of our lives. So, you know, seeing that we are discussing the importance of that memory and keeping that memory alive is it's it's really good to hear in the clip in all honesty i totally agree with you yeah and museums are such an important place for people to learn about things to learn about history in particular and what fleur said about lgbtq plus history needing to be in more places than just museums i think is super important and super valid but also we're obviously going to have to mention the fact that Queer Britain is the UK's first LGBTQ plus museum and has finally found a home in London, in Granary Square, and it's going to be opening later this year. And that's super exciting because we finally have our own space. Yeah, our own space as opposed to, uh, for instance, I went to Scotland, the Museum of Scotland, um, which was a really, really interesting kind of uh, experience. But I went during, I think, October? And they had a page that you could take, which was a specific LGBT history tour. And you would go around to all the exhibits that were already there and you learn about the hidden LGBT history behind them. But that history was hidden behind it. You had to go to a specific literally. <laughs> bespoke tour to find out that, oh, that, um, you know, the, the history behind certain objects actually had, you know, queer links. I find that really... Not upsetting. I don't think that's... I think that's too strong a word, but I do think it's a bit jarring. It's like, oh, so there's all these exhibits and then if you want to learn about the queer history behind them, you're going to have to see that as a footnote almost. Yeah, do your own research. Like, yeah. it's it's the added extra of the reading. And that's kind of what Michael touches on, right? Like, there's no such thing as queer history. It's mm. our history. It's yeah, all of, of our history. And I suppose you've got the fact there that Anybody who was looking at whatever artifacts or whatever you were looking at there could have and should have learned about the queer stories behind what you were looking at. They yeah. shouldn't have had to pick up a separate rainbow-coloured flyer to be able <laughs> to get the LGBT version of that history. Yeah, of course. It should just be taught as the history, and that's something that, with the logbooks, we are really keen about. So the logbooks is an LGBTQ plus history podcast that I produced. It was played on Virgin Radio Pride on Tuesday evenings all through the summer. And if you missed it, what are you waiting for? Go catch up after this, obviously. <laughs> but it it's one of the things that we see that these stories of, of LGBTQ plus uh, laughter and struggle and hardship and solidarity are completely intertwined with what else is going on in society. And yeah. we don't exist in a vacuum. And... I'm really keen to not frame LGBTQ plus history as LGBTQ plus history, but rather have it as a collective history. Yeah. I find as well, it's probably my, my, my the big thing that I take away from that clip is that actually it's not just about the museums. You know, you and I are, are making history and impacting people every single day that we live effectively. It might not be the most impactful, like, you know, we, we weren't stood 
making big civil change. Uh, we weren't, you know, Peter Tatchell on that day. But our lived history is really important. And, you know, I, I, I wonder whether when we talk about museums, we are going to incorporate the lived history of people because our history is still being made day by day. Um, one thing that I think about is how recent it was for same-sex marriage to be legalised in Northern Ireland. That is our country. It's part of our country, you know. Um, one other thing is the, the lived experiences that wouldn't find their way onto a onto like a museum plinth. You know, we spoke to George in episode six for World's Aid Day, World AIDS Day, and I found that was actually probably one of the biggest, most impactful moments I had with someone's lived history that really changed how I thought about HIV and AIDS and that lived experience was so important yeah it is and I think it's so it's so important as well for um for these stories to be collected and for this history like even though it's been ignored or hidden or I would go as far as to say censored yeah even though that has happened, it's really important that now we start to collect it and and catalogue it, archive it in a way that means that in the future it's not going to be forgotten, it's not going to be hidden. You're not going to have young people trying to like scour up and down libraries looking for just one tiny bit of information on this community that they're part yeah. of. And it's so important to make sure that that these stories aren't censored anymore and they get to live on. Yeah, of course. Um, there's one thing that we, you know, it binds our community and it, it, obviously it's it's subject to people discussing it, but it's... Are you the, talking about iced coffee? No, no, very important. Also binds the community. Um, no, I'm talking about... It's a, Walking really fast. Also binds us. No, of course. I'm talking about like what I would say arguably is the most recognisable symbol of, you know, the bride movement... And of LGBT History Month. The... RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> you are testing me here. It's the pride flag. Oh, of course. I cannot believe it took me that far to get you there. But do you actually know where the pride flag comes from? Sasha Coward describes himself on Twitter as an LGBTQ plus history dude. But don't let that put you off because he's really clued up on our history. He was excellent when he joined Matt Cain on Virgin Radio Pride last year where he told us all about the origins of the Pride flag. So the very first Pride flag, or the rainbow flag that we know of, uh, started out in 1978, and it was created by a man called Gilbert Baker. So Gilbert Baker was a really interesting chap living in San Francisco in America. And so he was living through the very the heat of the Stonewall incident, of the kind of the LGBTQ civil rights movement in America. Now, he was part of the armed forces. And when he left the armed forces, he actually started to sew. So he started to get quite good at sewing things. I'm loving uh, that personal he... story. Armed forces <laughs> to sewing. I'm in already. Right? I'm hooked. I'm engaged. I love it. Oh, you wait to hear about the fact that he was also a drag queen at the same time, right? Going by the name Busty Ross. Uh, and so as well as performing and, and being, you know, 
part of the military and getting into sewing. Uh, he was also an activist where he met the incredibly famous Harvey Milk, mm. uh, who you may have heard of before. Uh, and in doing so, became part of the LGBT movement there in America. And he was tasked with creating basically a flag that could unite everyone together. Because if before the 1978 flag, if you look at any of the marches, everyone's got different colors. There's no single symbol that brings everyone together. So what he decided to do, because he still had a bit of the echo of the kind of hippiness of the 60s and the 70s, was use the symbol of a rainbow, partly because a rainbow is a single strand of light, right? But it's been split up into all of its different colors. So a rainbow kind of symbolizes many in one. Okay. Loads of different people all coming together. I love it. So I've got a question on that front for you. I know he first designed it for the Gay Freedom Day. Um, so was it for gay or was it for, you mentioned LGBT, was from the beginning it meant to symbolise all different sexualities and gender identities or was it gay at first and it's come to take on that meaning? It's a really complicated one because back in the 70s and even in the 80s, the word gay could mean a lot of things. You might use the word gay to cover people that today we would call trans or non-binary uh, or any number of identities or bisexual. You, you would use terms like, let's go to the gay bar, let's go to gay pride. And that word just became synonymous with a lot of stuff. At this point, many of those individual identities that we have today, intersex, asexual, demisexual, bisexual, pansexual, some of those didn't even exist in terms of the word, right? So you have people who definitely fell under those identities, but may not have had those particular words to describe themselves as. So all I can say is that pride from its very beginning in America was a movement which was fueled by all kinds of people. So particularly trans women um, of color uh, were an integral part of the Stonewall riots, very much something that Gilbert was interested in and involved in. So when he was creating that flag, even though he may have at times used the word gay, he was thinking about right. these people broader community. Can I have like 30 seconds to just geek out on physics? Yes, of course you can. Okay, so the pride flag has six colours, which I love because obviously it's a rainbow, but the rainbow that you see in the sky only actually has six colours because according to physics, there is no indigo in the spectrum of light and people put it in there because in physics, like they like it, it's nice, R7, that's a much nicer number than six, whatever, yeah. boring reasons. But the pride flag, aka the flag of my community, is also accurate to the physics of the world, which is my passion and therefore the overlap sends my brain into overdrive and have i had 30 seconds yet i don't know i kind oh. of was lost thinking about that um you Did know you have a small nap a, a, a tiny nap i would call it a uh, a brain fart quite frankly <laughs> just uh, a little little distant bit you know what though that is quite cute that you know the bride flag is science because rainbow is six so therefore being gay is scientific Facts. <laughs> That's the logic. That and the gay penguins that London Zoo always wheel out on Valentine's Day. Yeah, of course. Uh, that was that was something that we all got in our inboxes this week, didn't it? <laughs> um, you know, just thinking back to the fact that, that that flag, that unifying flag existed back in 1978 is quite huge. That's, you know, pre-80s, pre-the loved-up 80s, post-the loved-up 60s. but In quite that large... weird 70s period yeah. that nobody talks about too much. It's over 50 years old. 
So d- did you know that all of the colours of the pride flag actually stand for something as well? There was real thought put into this. So it goes red, orange, yellow, green, blue, violet. Where's indigo? <laughs> Don't. Don't. OK, um, what's red stand for? So red is life, orange is healing, sun is yellow, sunlight, yellow sunlight. Mm-hmm. Green is nature, blue is harmony, indigo is not here. Bye, indigo. <laughs> um, but violet is spirit. Okay. So they all stand for something and it's all supposed to be something that connects the LGBTQ plus community and all the things that we care about and are connected with and too. Yeah, of course. And the language bit of the fact that that word, you know, the word gay previously being this single umbrella that we used to all exist in, you know, you would identify as gay. I would identify as gay. We'd all identify as gay. Even the allies effectively would identify as gay. And I find it really interesting seeing how our language has changed to become more inclusive, to give people their own sense of identity whilst, you know, maintaining the fact that we are all part of one big, happy, normally umbrella of people. We still do all pledge allegiance to the same flag. (laughs) Yes. The flag also has been updated and updated and updated. And I think that also reflects the ever-increasing inclusivity that we have in our community to add additional colours and stripes and symbols to make sure that we are representing and being truly inclusive of the communities that often get sidelined. I think it's also important to remember that some of our history, and I'm sorry, every week wouldn't be complete without some air quotes, is barely history itself. Do you say that with air quotes? That wasn't quite clear. Uh, Just for the avoidance of doubt, uh, the history part was in air quotes. In case I wasn't clear enough with my repeated use of the word air quotes, I was using air quotes. It was only 55 years since the Sexual Offences Act was passed, which decriminalised private homosexual acts between men aged over 21, while at the same time imposing heavier penalties on street offences. And that law wasn't changed for Scotland until 1980 or for Northern Ireland until 1982. In English, that basically meant it was really difficult for men who, like men, to have sex with one another. And the worst part is, you know, even then, we talk about it being decriminalised, but there's the different age of consent, and it's a five-year gap. If you were 21, that was the only age that you could legally be a homosexual, whereas if you were heterosexual, you were fine doing it aged 16. And, you know, these terrifying laws feel like they should have been abolished years ago, but they weren't. One man who had his life impacted by this discrimination was Philip Harper Deakin. He joined Matt Cain last year on Virgin Radio Pride to tell us about when he was prosecuted for gay sexual activity and the harsh punishments he received. In February 1972, I was caught in public choice under the bloke. I received two years probation and 12 months psychiatric treatments as part of my um, offence. And did what did the psychiatric treatment involve? Um, electric shock treatments. Primarily. And what was that like? What was that like to live through as a as oh. a young man? How old were you at the time? Seventeen. I think because I struggled for the first sixteen years of my life living in a hostile environment of who I was, and I refused to change. Um, it was just another part of punishment. So I could, I mean, I handled all of that through sixteen years I left home. Um, the electric shock treatment was just another form of. Just get on with it, basically. Um, after the treatment, when I go cottaging, I mean, it lasted four months. I mean, I told my probation officer what I was doing. It was having no effects. 
I was quite happy who I was and what I was. I wasn't going to change. And he managed to get that part of the um, the sentencing quashed. I refused to change. I couldn't sit in I couldn't justify why I should change. I think that's a really powerful stance there, to just refuse to change and just be... I, I don't want to say stubborn, because that implies that he's in the wrong. You know, when you say that someone's stubborn, you kind of imply that they're, they're on a position that isn't the right position. No, he's not stubborn. He's standing up for what is quite truly right um, and refusing to change and refusing to allow some disgusting electrotherapy to change him because that is who he is. Philip Harkadine is someone we should live by in that sense of, you know, standing up for what is right and refusing to change. I completely commend him for that. But I just want to make it absolutely 100% clear that this is something that the UK government, the, the government of the country that we are currently living in, used to sanction. It's really important to remember that only 50 years ago, this is the kind of thing that they were okay with signing off on. And as we're, you know, still discussing whether or not to ban conversion therapy mm-hmm. nearly four years after we'd been promised it was going to be banned and it was top priority for them to, yeah. to get done, this kind of thing is conversion therapy. This kind of thing is going on and it's being described as torture for people who have to undergo this abhorrent process Mm. and that is what our government is allowing you know i wouldn't go as far as to say that the government is sanctioning this anymore rightly so but they aren't really stopping it from happening behind closed doors and of course so much more needs to be done about that you know it's also worth kind of thinking about this in context you know this wasn't a time when Grinder or Tinder or, you know, even message boards existed for people to to meet up with one another. This was a time when you had to be in the right places or know the right people or be the right clubs or whatever it was to actually be able to work out who is who is gay and, and who isn't and, you know, to be able to, to have a sex life. And it's quite interesting hearing Philip talk about his experiences as well. Yeah, it's super interesting. There's this whole hidden history as well of how we used to signal to one another of, to to indicate our sexuality or our preferences. Mm-hmm. The hanky code being one of the most famous ways gay men in particular used to signal to one another. But being in the right place at the right time was super important as well for the community yeah. because cottaging was... Cottaging still goes on today. Yeah, of course. But it was, I think, a lot more... Um, popular over periods of time in the past yeah and for those for those people who might not know what cottaging is may never have heard of the word uh or experienced it then cottaging is a little bit like having um a special cuddle in a place that is known as a place for special cuddles outside but still indoors sort of like a public bathroom or a particular changing room places like that you get the idea um just for the avoidance of doubts when we listen you you don't have to call it a special cuddle you can just call it sex you know we all we all have sex lives um <gasps> yeah i know <laughs> uh, we'll be hearing more about the lgbtq plus history month right after our Virgin Radio Pride weekly update with Daryl Jackson. Thank you. Hello. First this week. The Equality and Human Rights Commission says LGBT groups have the wrong target as they try to revoke its status as an independent body. 
20 organisations, including Stonewall, have written to the UN, accusing the watchdog of being politically motivated and too closely linked to Westminster. The Commission recently asked the Scottish Government to pause its plans to make it easier for people to change their sex on their birth certificate. It's claimed education and engagement must continue to play a crucial role in football's ongoing battle against homophobia. That's according to the co-founder of the LGBTQ plus fans group Proud Canaries. Norwich dedicated last Saturday's programme for the home game against Premier League leaders Manchester City to both LGBTQ plus History Month and the Football versus Homophobia campaign. Di Cunningham helped to found the Proud Canaries in 2013 at a time when it felt very much like the LGBTQ plus supporters had to park their identity at the turnstile when they came in. There were still things that we we tolerate even now in football that we wouldn't in our normal lives. And the key really is to understand that people get swept up in these, you know, the red boy child. A lot of people don't even know what it means. They don't know that it's homophobic. But once you point it out to people, there's a whole lot of people that say, oh, I'm really sorry. I, You know, you're a fan of my club and I want you to be welcome. I'm not going to sing that anymore. Lady Gaga and Dua Lipa are among the stars shortlisted for the British LGBT Awards. The annual event shines a light on leading activists and allies. The past winners include Prince William, Caitlyn Jenner, Kylie Minogue and Sir Ian McKellen. The ceremony will be in London in June. And Olympian Tom Daly has completed his epic endurance challenge that saw him rowing, cycling and swimming and running from London to Plymouth for comic relief. He's travelled from Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park in Stratford to his hometown of Plymouth over four days. He began his journey on Monday. That's all for this week. I'll be back with more next week. Thank you, Daryl. You're listening to the Virgin Radio Pridecast. Now, interestingly, despite us being neighbours with the lovely island, they have their LGBT plus history month in May, which coincides with the month when they legalised same-sex marriage, which was only in 2015. Back in June last year, DJ Crossy brought us Worldwide Pride from Dublin, and he chatted with Buzz O'Neill about the origins of Pride in Ireland, and the murder of Declan Finn. Now, Buzz is an event manager, event controller, and club promoter from Ireland. And he not only remembers our history, he was a part of it. I've been involved in marriage equality campaign in Ireland pretty much from day one, be it as a behind-the-scenes string puller or advisor to some of the groups that were starting out and just generally, you know, getting stuck in and doing my bit. So when I came around to that, you know, to the actual campaigning, um, that you know, for months... And then the weeks leading up to it, you know, I've just got to tell you, Crossy, it, it was just, it was exhausting, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, I've been involved in lobbying and politics and various rights campaigns for, for years here. So I kind of had built up, of, you know, I know a lot of people. And I just remember sitting on that Friday night, the polls, I just, I had been standing on a bridge in in Fairview, Um Oh, this is mad to talk about. I don't know what I'm getting emotional for. But, you know, if, if you don't know the history of, of where Pride started in Ireland, you know, Declan Flynn was a gay man that was murdered in Fairview Park and the six people that gay bashed him um, got walked away uh, scot-free. And um, just by pure... Co- it is what started the first gay Pride um, in Dublin. It was a demonstration around his murder and, and subsequently their trial. And I just happened, I live right nearby it, right beside it. So my last day of, 
you know, I done voting and we just said we we get out there one last time and just as a visibility thing along Fairview with our placards and our banners urging the last few people uh, to go out and vote. Um, and it just got to, you know, nine o'clock, I think, and polls were closing at 10. And I realised that we were all standing there. I remember turning around to just was random with our campaigner guy that was standing beside me. And I was just like, I said, this is where it started. I said, and this is where it ends. Um, wow. Oh, so it was, I just, I also said, I'm also sick of standing here and bloody asking for, um, asking for people's um, approval. I said, I'm done. So it was nine o'clock and I went home. I got on the phone. I texted every political journalist I knew. I texted every campaigner from every group. I, people that were at the polls that were counting tallies. Was, there was no official tally on the day. And everything that came back to me from all over the country was, you know, 100%. We have it. We absolutely no question uh, that the referendum is going to be carried. And I went into, into town. I had a club on that night, went to Sweatbox. And just the place was just rammed. People were so excited, so buzzed. I was, I was like, I'm going to get up early. Of course, I didn't. Club went on till whatever, <laughs> late that night. Got up Saturday morning. And even at that stage, by 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning, it was being called by, by various um, news outlets that, that we had it. And it was, Jesus, it was just, it was like, almost like having a fully live breakdown. <laughs> it was it was just right, you need to get to town. My phone was hopping and it's all like, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And I just would look, I want to be in my friend's bar. I want to be in Panther Bar, surrounded by my queers. All my friends, straight friends that had campaigned, all our allies. I was like, this is where we would be. I was there with my then boyfriend, who's now my husband. Um, and we watched, uh, the, I didn't want to be in Dublin Castle with the boat come in. I thought it was too big and too public. I wanted to be with my gang um, uh, when, when when they made the announcement and it came up on the big screen in Panty Bar and... Well, as they, you know, as they say, it just was uh, pandemonium ensued. You're listening to the Virgin Radio Pridecast. And there we have it. Another month for the LGBTQs. And rightly so. We're collecting all 12. Yeah, I know. It's like a Pokemon, isn't it? Got to catch them all. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. I was going to make the Infinity Stone reference. So we're both a bunch of nerds here. Yeah, I know. I used to love my Pokemon cards. Um, it, It is interesting, though, that LGBT History Month... You know, they've got their specific month they celebrate because it has such a strong link to their community. But Pride is all year round and we can all be proud all year round. It definitely is. And I think, you know, we've talked a lot about the LGBT history in the UK and some of the challenges that people have faced from our community over that time. But I think it's only a stone's throw away to Ireland and stories like that of Declan Flynn and stories that have affected our community and and brought shockwaves to our community around the world need to be remembered. Things like the pole shooting that happened in Orlando only a few years ago. These kinds of things need to be remembered and need to hold our community together because we are so much stronger together and we have this massive international family all around the world and we are so much stronger for it. And the fact that every single country may or may not have a different month for LGBT History Month or Pride Month, I'm okay with <laughs> because th- these are all histories from all different places that we should be learning about all the time. Yeah, those individual harrowing stories that actually kind of just end up being forgotten because they're so harrowing that we just go, oh, that that happened. And that's quite 
quite a, a shocking approach. The harrowing uh, stories, but also the happy ones. Like, yeah. we want to remember all of the history. You can hear, like, as Buzz goes back to those memories, you can hear it in his voice. It is so, so emotional hearing about his experience and, and hearing how he felt. And I, I quite like that little, like, oh, wait. I could go and celebrate this with everyone, but actually I just want to be my pals. I mean, hard relate. Yeah, a very hard relate. And that is sadly, Shivani, just about all we've got time for on this special LGBTQ plus history month episode of the Virgin Radio Podcast. It's a lot of letters, isn't it? Yeah, a lot of letters, but it's, it's, I think we all kind of almost have a duty, uh, and I definitely know what I'm going to be doing when I get home. I'm going to be doing some Googling and just doing some reflection on like, the fact that this is a big month for us, you know, we're, we're halfway through it and there's a lot that we should be thinking about and the progress that we've made, but also the progress that still has to come. That's the, um, that's the uncomfortable part. The comfortable part is look how far we've come. Like the uncomfortable part is if I'm out on a tube with my other half, do I feel comfortable touching his leg? No, the answer is so there's more to come, isn't there? I'm really hopeful about where we're going. Um, I'm constantly trying to feel hopeful about where things are headed, but we are unfortunately constantly up against it as the LGBTQ plus community, inclusive of people in all of those letters and all of those categories. um, There's always a battle to face. And uh, I genuinely believe that the only way we can get any progress made is if we all stand together with all of the letters in the acronym and we fight for the rights of each and every one of those individual letters. Oh, yes, uh, it's true. You know, there is always, though, in our history, a battle. Everything that we've achieved has always been a battle. So it's a positive thing, you know, thinking that we achieved so much when we battled and that's what we achieved together. So let's keep fighting. Uh, If you want to tell us about your opinions on the importance of learning more about our history or if you want to get in touch for any reason, you can email us on pridecast at virginradio.co.uk. Or you can send us a tweet at Virgin Radio UK, remembering to use the hashtag Virgin Radio Pridecast. That is it from us. We'll catch you next week. Bye. The Virgin Radio Pridecast with Alex Milsom and Shivani Darve.